Hey guys, we're back with another episode of More Than. I was lucky enough to chat to Arsenal legend Alex Scott to learn more about her journey from the pitch to the television studio, where she's now a leading pundit for Sky. Alex has such an interesting story and I think some of the stuff she has had to overcome is inspiring for us all. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did and please remember to subscribe. So hello everyone and welcome to another episode of More Than. Today we're here with Alex Scott. Hello Alex, how are you? Thank you for having me on. I'm excited for this, you know. I'm so excited to have you. First Arsenal legend we have on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Legend, you know what? How does when it people feel? Say that I'm just like I don't know. I get I actually kind of get embarrassed when people use that term legend. Really, you are though. I know, like I, I don't know. I'm just someone that grew up at the club and absolutely yeah. loved playing for Arsenal. And like <laughs> I feel like lucky that I managed to win so much, and I just think that's yeah. what the fans see that my love for the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's how it always starts. Yeah. Uh, how uh, how are you, and where you at? I'm good. I'm in my apartment where I have been most of lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in isolation alone. And at first yeah. of all, I thought, oh, no, like I'm going to struggle with this. Yeah. But I think like everyone, you just kind of get into like a routine. And then it was like, I was fine. I was trying to keep myself busy, like yeah. learning my guitar and trying to do other things, trying to learn some Spanish. Yeah. Not that I would say I'm very good. <laughs> How's that going? Is that good? Oh gosh, I had, wait, I had an exam, you know, um, really? my first unit. Yeah, I got 18 out of 20. So my teacher's kind of impressed with me. I know, I know, but now I'm on like unit two, but I'm still like basic <laughs> beginner level, but I'm, I'm trying. Now nah, you'll get there, you'll get there. <laughs> I, also, I stayed on the whole quarantine by myself as well. And uh, yeah, and I have to say, if, like the way you say it, it sounds like it was easy, but for me, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, was a bit of a, I was a bit of a roller coaster. The first couple of weeks I was alone, I was like, yo, I'm thriving. Like, this is good. Like, I got so much time for myself. Um, I, as you say, like, I started my own routine. I was, like, playing the piano a little bit, learning other things, reading books. And then it kind of got to a point that I kind of hit a brick wall. And I was, like, kind of bad for a couple of weeks. But then training started and all this stuff. And I got into my routine and I started feeling a, a bit better. But I'm glad yeah. it was good for you. No, do you know what? But it's like, I think just because I'm a positive person, it comes yeah. across like that, like, oh, yeah. yeah, it was easy, it was fine. But how you just mentioned, it was like a roller coaster. I had those days too, where mm-hmm. like I'd be in bed and getting out. I'm like, what's my purpose today? Like, I have no reason to get out of bed. I'm not leaving the house. I'm on my no. own. But then I was like, on those days, I was like, everyone's going through this, right? And then yeah. I was like, allow yourself to have that moment. But as long as the next day you don't get stuck in a rut, with it and I was like right you can have a day or maybe two days but then you need to get like being back positive and thinking about okay we're gonna get through this it's all right yeah because I feel like a lot of people also they just felt like doing quarantine you had to come out you had to come out of it like like Superman you know everyone was like working out doing this doing that and sometimes (laughs) I was just chilling in the sofa saying like everyone is like becoming the best version of themselves and I'm just here like watching tv like nothing's happening (laughs) well on those days though how did you get out of it like, what no, would you say to me, yourself? It was, a, it was a bit like that. I, I was like you. I was like, okay, Hector, listen, it's just one day. Just make sure that, you know, get the rest that you need for the day. Like, it was more mentally than physically. But, um, yeah, and then the day after, um, just come back on top. And then, yeah, sometimes it would last me two days. <laughs> sometimes it would just last me once. But, um, obviously, uh, we also had, like, for the, even since the, the first week, 
since we started lockdown um, at Arsenal, they told us like we needed to start training. So, um, I mean, I just planned my days and um, yeah. so I could train in the morning and then do other things. And then that's when it got better. But it was more at the weekends, you know? So I was like, I'm allowed at the weekends to just chill a little bit more. And then, you know, be like a potato in my sofa. And then after, <laughs> just like, you know, get with the grind again. Wait, but then how did you find, like, the, actually the self-motivation to train every day, even though you're, like, at home and in quarantine? It was, it was difficult because, um, I mean, you, you, you know this better than anyone, but, like, when you start pre-season or something like this, you have a goal, right? You're like, yeah. okay, I need to get fit to start training or I need to get fit for this competition or whatever. At this time, we were like, are we going to play a game? Like, if we start, when are we going to start again? There was so much uncertainty. There was, everyone used to say one thing or another. Mm -hmm. And it was just very difficult. But at the end of the day, um, me and, and Danny Ceballos, um, we kind of like set a challenge to each other. And we're like, yo, let's see who kind of trains most, you know? And I have to say, <laughs> he beat me to it. He beat me to Did it. Danny, Danny's so good. Danny's such a professional. He was doing like double sessions every day. And like he was watching his food so much and stuff. So we kind of like were feeding a little bit of each other. And Pablo as well used to join us every now and then. Mm -hmm. And we used to send each other sessions. So that's kind of, we kind of were competing against each other in a way. And we were probably one of like the fittest people that they came back to, to training. So it was fun. And it was like, wow. you know, really good to kind of, we were both alone as well at mm -hmm. the time. So yeah, it was good. What, what about you? Were you training a lot for quarantine or what were you doing? Well, I was trying to, but that's like partly why I retired because I have really bad ankle injuries. Um, so for, you know, ankle injuries, like you have to spend a lot of time offloading so you don't pound it and they don't swell. Yeah. But I'm someone, I love running. So first yeah. of all, the first couple of weeks I'd be like running for fun. And then like I found myself like mornings, like I was like some old granny. I couldn't walk down my <laughs> stairs because my ankles. But oh, I was God. lucky. I've got um, a Peloton bike. It's oh, nice. because, you know, at the training ground, I hated the Watt bikes. Yeah. What bike sessions were my worst enemy? That was my best friend at like rehab. Oh, yeah, that's what I'm like. Oh. Yeah. yeah, but then you get to a stage where I'm like, I don't want to go on the bike anymore. Like, yeah, yeah, my yeah. quads, the much. burn, I hate the too feeling much. of it. But now, like, I love my Peloton bike. Oh, that's like, so good. I feel like me. these bikes have been sold out through quarantine. Like, everyone's just trying to get one <laughs> and they have, like, a year waiting list. And I'm like, yo, you see, everyone is just trying to be better and I'm just here, like slacking <laughs> wait but you said about food that i have to say i struggled with my food yeah. i feel like when i'm working and i'm doing stuff like i don't really need to like, worry if i'm eating bad or anything but i got into a bad routine of just like going to the snack cupboard constantly or just oh, cooking no. whatever i know i need to get better at that i feel like that's been that's been everyone though i heard like in spain the food that everyone was um buying more in the supermarket was like birthday food you know, so it was like cakes and snacks and cheers and stuff like that. And I was like, people think like this is like some sort of party or something. I think that was me. I got into a habit of eating so many crisps. I need to stop it. Yeah, no, for real. But listen, I think given the times we all give to like cut ourselves some slack and just be like, listen, it's just what it is, isn't it? We're just trying yeah. to test over here. Yeah, I totally agree with that. <laughs> so Alex, for the people that um, don't know you, uh, tell us about you and your story, who you are, how did you get, where you, like, what, for what people know you for. Who's Alex? Who's Alex Scott? Who is Alex Scott? Well, do you know what? It's actually different now because I feel like I'm three versions, right? People know yeah. me as Alex Scott, the footballer, mm -hmm. Alex Scott, the pundit, 
mm-hmm. or Alex Scott, like obviously the friend or the family. So or it's the like, all, or Alex Scott, <laughs> uh, yeah, Alex Scott from Strictly. I feel like I fit into all these different boxes. Yeah. But no, I suppose when I look back, for me, I was that footballer. I had dreams of, well, when I was growing up in the East End of London, you know, there weren't much around me, but we had this like small football cage. And that yeah. football cage to me was everything, playing with the boys in the neighborhood. I swear in that cage, I dreamt of like playing in stadiums, like filled with fans. Oh. And every time we, I'd score a goal in that stadium, I'd be practicing my goal celebration to what it would be like. <laughs> that was like the me. most fun thing, right? The reason about scoring was just for the celebration, right? <laughs> yeah. So that was it. That's where it all started for me. And I was lucky I got spotted uh, by someone. I went into a local tournament in my area and that referee knew someone down at Arsenal. And he came up to me and he's like, Alex, you know, Arsenal women, they have a football team. And I was like, no, I'm not interested. I just want to play with the boys. Like, I'm fine. (laughs) And he was like, no, no. And then he actually sorted it out with Vic Akers, who Mm. you know. Um, And then that was it. They signed me when I was age eight. Oh, wow. How was... um... How was women's football in that stage? And like, did you ever think that, um, cause now you see like, like young girls can see people like you that uh, have had like beautiful careers. Uh, mm-hmm. But back then, did you have like a woman footballer inspiration or was there anything in women's football that made you believe that you could get to where you got? No, Hector, there was no one. And actually when I look back at everything where we used to only train on a Tuesday and a Thursday evening at the ball court, we used to have to like wait around till like eight o'clock at night. We used to train eight till ten o'clock at night and then I used to be getting a bus back home all the way How to old East were you London. When that happened? Like that from what I signed when I was like eight. So all through the youth flight teams. We used wow. to like train. Yeah. And we used to be like running around the pitch at Highbury doing our fitness before we went back into the ball court. When I look back at the football kits, like it was hand-me-downs from like yeah. the men's first team. So I was just like, what we had to go through. But I didn't think any different. That's all I knew. And all I knew is I'm getting, I'm training at Arsenal Football Club and I get to play football every day. How lucky am I? So I don't think I was thinking, yeah. For me, it wasn't about money or whatever. It was just like, I get to play football. I'm wearing an Arsenal kit. For real. (laughs) And how was it, um, you spoke about VK, because how was... um... Yeah, um, I mean, he's someone very special at Arsenal, um, for the people that don't know. He was a coach of the of the women's team, and he's been an Arsenal legend. Towards his last few years, he was um, a kid man. Well, not last few years, he'd been a kid man at Arsenal yeah. for a really <laughs> long time. I remember he was, um, he was when I was in the Arsenal under-23s, under-21s back then, he was a guy that used to come to me and was like, Hector, you come into our dressing room. And I was like, what? Really? I remember the dressing rooms used to be like, um, I don't know, like 100 yards apart. And Vic Akers was like, this is the longest 100 yards you're ever going to walk. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that day, I was training with the first team every now and then. And, you know, some of the players were like, Hector, why are you not in our dressing room and stuff? And I was like, well, I don't know. And then one day he, he, he brought all my stuff and was like, Hector, come with me. And I was like, that was one of the moments that I remember most. So he's someone uh, obviously really special to me. Um, so tell me, how was your relationship with him? And I heard like you were helping him cleaning even sometimes to be able to like just be in and around. Like, how was that? Yeah, that's what, when we moved from mainly training at Highbury to the new training ground where you are now, 
And I remember there's no way that I could travel all that way. Like I grew up, my mum's single parent family. So like we always struggled like for her to even get me a pair of football boots. As we mentioned with Vic, I remember him coming up to me and was like, Alex, I know you need some pa a pair of football boots. Here's some boots. They were Mark Overmars's football boots. Cause he, yeah, he was like a size five, but Hector, I swear I never wore them. Cause I was like, I can't wear those boots. Like what, <laughs> they're Mark Overmars's. Um, so yeah, he got me a job um, at the Arsenal Laundry. <laughs> like, so I used to have to wash the kit, hang around for you guys to like finish training, do that. But same thing, like when I look back, I'm like, oh my goodness. Like I was in that laundry doing that. But I just, I, it was what it was like. Yeah. I did that, I got paid some money and I got to hang around and train and be around the training ground at Arsenal. So win-win. That's what I mean. But when you look back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I worked in the Arsenal laundry. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of people would love to do that. I'm telling you that. That's what I don't, I don't look back. There's no sob stories with me because everything that I've done has made me be the person where I am today. So it's all part of my journey. And you feel like, as you were saying, um, you know, you were living with your mom. She was a single mom and stuff. Um, I feel like um, single moms are like such strong people, you know, because uh, having to carry their kids uh, and raise them. And at the same time, you know, being able to work and stuff. Do you feel, um, you know, she was like some sort of like inspiration to you for like the, her hard work and stuff? Yeah, when everyone talks about like role models and who's your inspiration, for me, I always say my mum. It was hard because most of my football career, like she, she weren't at the games, but mm. I know why she weren't at the games because yeah. she was out trying to work different jobs so I could have a pair of football boots or I could travel the world and like pay my football subs for Arsenal. Yeah. You know, like she had to make so many sacrifices. And actually like there were times like her friends would be like, What's, why is Alex playing football? She needs to like concentrate on other things. And my mum was like, no, I see the love and the passion that she has for it. I'm not pushing her on a different path. And yeah, that was way back then when we didn't even think women's football would be professional or I would earn a living from it. Yeah. But she yeah. never tried to push me in a different direction. And yeah, I just have so much love and I think admiration for my mum. She's like someone who doesn't have a lot, but how she treats other people with kindness and just the, just the love. Like, I love that about her. That's amazing. Well, shout out to your mum. That's the reason why you're here. That's the reason why you're here today. <laughs> and then tell me how it was. Um, so from being in the Arsenal Academy and then helping Vic in the laundry and stuff. Um, how did you make it into pro football? And how was, how was the landscape changing for women's football at that time? I think when we talk about Vic, I, I, I don't think Vic gets the recognition that he should for everything that he's done for women's football. Mm -hmm. So obviously he founded, he started Arsenal Women. He saw that it would be a good connection to have the club and what it can do for female footballers. Mm -hmm. And then even though we weren't professional, Vic always used to say, like, remember you're wearing that badge and who you represent, no matter whether you've got the kit on or you're away from it. Like he taught us the values, how yeah, to be yeah. professional and how to act and wanting to be the best. And then literally moulded Arsenal women into the most successful team that it is today with all the trophies. And then every year he just used to push for more and was like trying to sign the best players to make us the best, to push to be in Europe. And I think the game just grew and grew the more attention we were getting as a club, which then obviously helped the England national team. We qualified for our first World Cup, well, in like 10 years, in 2007. And there was like this young crop of exciting players. Most of us were from Arsenal. I think uh -huh. there must have been about 10 players from Arsenal uh, in the, the England core, the team. The core of the team. Yeah. And then so I think then the more success we were getting with international, that was filtering down into the women's game. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
So yeah, Vic has you a huge got, like, part of that. You got 140 caps for the English team, right? I know. <laughs> Damn. Wait, I, I started like you. I wasn't even a fullback. I was that person <laughs> that I wanted to score goals and then they pushed me back and back. What is that about? What's happening? <laughs> I was like, I, I was like playing right wing for like eight years, and then I'm coming to Arsenal, and Steve Bold is like, "Now, nah, Hector, you're playing right back." I was like, "What? Why did I sign here then?" <laughs> <laughs> but do you know what? As soon as I got moved into right back, I just loved it. I think because yeah. I was a person that I loved seeing the whole picture in front of me, mm. and it was a time where right back was changing, right? Because yeah, yeah, yeah. back in the day, right backs used to didn't get past the halfway line. I know, and I you had centre back. Yeah, yeah, I had that attacking in me. I was yeah. like, no, they're just going to chase me up and down all day. <laughs> so like, I found this freedom at right back, which I absolutely yeah. loved. It's so true. I feel like it kind of like, it really grew on me as well, because I feel like even though I was a striker, um, I always used to love, like every time I put a tackle in, like that sounds very English for like playing in Barcelona, but every <laughs> yeah. time I put a tackle in, it, it made me feel good, you know, it made me feel strong. And it was something like, kind of like scoring a goal. So I felt like, <laughs> and after playing as a fullback, I could kind of do both things at the same time, which yeah. is something that um, it really, really grew on me. So, yeah, no, I can see, I can see that. <laughs> so then when you got moved to right back, what other right backs were you looking at to be like, whoa, I need to like look at them and study their game? Because for me, it was on my last year at Barcelona, um, our right backs got injured. So when we were playing sevens, mm -hmm. I played right back, but because there weren't really wingers then. So uh, the coach was like, okay, let's try and put Hector at right back. And then um, that was literally the only game in, in Catalonia that you play against a good team is against Espanyol. Uh -huh. Literally on that game, I played right back. Arsenal scout was there. And then he was like, no, this guy's a right back. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> just the one game. <laughs> but um, yeah, it kind of like, I, I didn't really play many games there. And it was then uh -huh. coming to Arsenal that um, I was very lucky. I'm, I'm very grateful because Steve Bold was my under-18s coach. And obviously, he had been a right back, a centre back. So everything about like body shape, like keeping the line, how to defend, body position, everything I learned from him. I feel like my first six months at Arsenal was like a masterclass of like defending. And then yeah. obviously, you get experience and then you get better and better. But um, yeah, it's a position that then with time, I realised that as a winger, probably I wouldn't have been in the situation that I am today because I feel like I'm a player that I need space in front of me and coming from the back is always like better. So it kind of really, really works. So I'm grateful for the people that spotted at the time that I would be a better right back than a better winger. So, yeah, for real. It's like they know what they're doing, right? Yeah, they know. Oh, that's, that's why that's their job, right? I guess. <laughs> and then, um, so you have a media degree, right? A university media degree. So um, when did you do that? Was that while you were playing football at the same time? Yeah, I left Arsenal was one of the hardest decisions of my life. Like, we'd mm. won the Champions League, the quadruple, we'd, we'd won it all, Hector. Everything, and then yeah. it got to a stage where it was after the 2007 World Cup, there'd been this talk of the American League going professional and all the best players in the world were going to play in this league. Mm -hmm. And then, like in American sports, there's a whole draft system. You are only yeah. allowed four players, four international players on each team. So I was like, all the best players in the world. Like, well, I'm not going to get drafted. But then I got drafted to Boston. Really? Yeah. And I remember having the hardest conversation with Vic, crying my eyes out because I had oh, to leave like a club that I've been at since I was eight. But I knew I had to go over there to America yeah. to be like, be professional and concentrate on just that job. Um, so I did. 
spent three years over there, absolutely loved it. The mentality of the Americans, like wanting to push to be the best and they're not apologetic about it. Like yeah, I became yeah, yeah. in that mindset. Yeah, I'm going to be the best right back in the world. I'm saying it out loud, I'm that confident. Yeah, for um, real. And then as soon as I came back, just before the London Olympics, mm -hmm. and then I re-signed for Arsenal, and it was then I was just like, what do, what, who am I without football? What does my life afterwards look like? Like, I've been playing professional, but I hadn't earned enough money to carry on paying my mortgage after. And then so I was already putting things in place. So I was like, do you know what? I love having conversations with people. I'm mm -hmm. going to do a media degree. And that's what I did. Whilst I was still playing for Arsenal, I did a two-year media degree through the PFA, actually. Okay. Yeah. And I did so much work experience. I used to have to go up to the university once a week, but I'd be doing Arsenal TV. I'd be doing like side interviews, trying to get all this yeah, practice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I loved it. But you were at the perfect place. You had all the infrastructure to like build your career, right? Yeah, because I was just making use of everything that was around yeah. me. Like, I'm in football. When I used to go away with England camp, I used to say to the cameraman and everyone, I was like, oh, let me just do the interview with a player. <laughs> and then, like, it became a thing because, you know, when players talk to each other, it's kind of different sometimes. You know, you just have that natural respect or you kind of know what's going More on. Of a conversation rather than an interview, right? Yeah. So then it just, like, it just carried on like that. And um, when you decided to do that was... Uh punditry kind of like your end goal or was that something that just got on the way punditry to be honest is like on the way for me when I did my media degree I've never I didn't think oh I want to be a pundit my thing is I love having conversations so I always saw myself more in a presenting role yeah. I don't know what kind of presenting role but I just yeah but then on my way to get that experience when I speak about BBC or Sky they were offering me these positions and they was like, Alex, you just need to do this for a little while, you know, get your foot in the door, understanding, and then we'll see. So that's why this year, I've actually hardly done any Sky games because mm -hmm. they know I've been trying to learn this year my trade as a presenter, yeah, which yeah. I absolutely love. So I've been doing more of that. Obviously, BBC, like entertainment shows I've been doing more of, just trying to find out actually, what actually do I love? What kind of presenter do I want to be? So I'm still kind of growing and figuring things out. But for me, when I look back at 2012, when I started my degree, yeah. no, for, I would have been dreaming just to have a part-time job after football, really? like yeah, yeah, trying yeah. to figure out what I'm doing. So to be in this position right now, like, oh, I have to pinch, I pinch myself, even oh, though it's weird because I know the hard work that I've put in. But yeah. I don't know, sometimes people just, I don't know, like you, you've like gone on to play for Arsenal, be successful. Sometimes people only see the end goal, right? They don't see the process and the struggles and everything that it took. Yeah. And um, I feel like, obviously, playing full-time football is obviously really hard already. But um, me, I've always had the curiosity of like learning other things while I've been mm -hmm. playing. And I think like, just, that's just something that's part of my personality and you while you were playing you were studying how um was that difficult for you was that difficult for you to like manage both both things at the same time and obviously at the same time get a little bit of work experience also knowing that you have to be focused you're playing a lot of games etc how yeah. how did you navigate those things around I think for me, as I like became more older or experienced, I figured out what I needed, what works for my brain. And mm -hmm. actually for me, doing things away from the football field made me love going to training more. I think sometimes you can just like wrap yourself up in this complete bubble and be so consumed, there's no switch off. 
where I found if I had like a day switching off and getting energy from other things, you'd get a better Alex Scott at training because I'd be yeah. bubbly, I'd be full of energy. So that's how, like, and I think Arsenal saw that and allowed me to continue to do that. And actually, I don't know, me being in the media the last couple of years of my career, I was growing women's football. I was growing the game. I was bringing more attention to Arsenal women as well. And I think mm. that's kind of the role that I know still at the moment, even though I'm retired, I'm still Alex got that female footballer. Like I'm still yeah. representing for my sport, even yeah. though I'm away from the game at the moment. It's so interesting because um, obviously football fans, the way they view us um, as athletes and stuff, um, they always view us as like people that we just have to be obsessed with what with our trade, right? And the mm -hmm. more I speak to footballers um, like Tyrone Mings that we had him in the podcast as well, I feel like there's, uh, you know, like a growing, I don't know, curiosity or people want to do stuff away from the game because they're realizing that just spending all your day concentrating in your job then yeah. is actually uh, not as rewarding or you don't feel as good that actually exploring other sides of your life or your personality and um, that you recharge off and you feed yeah. off but then after make you a better, a better person or a better player. And in the process, this is also getting you ready for like your after football life. Yeah, you know? I like so I like agree it's with good that. To see because yeah, I don't, I, I, like I've always got a lot of stick from it personally, mm -hmm. you know, for the stuff that I do outside the game. So, you know, it, it kind of, sometimes when you do something that I feel when I started doing it, I just felt not that I was the only person doing stuff away from the game, but especially in fashion and stuff, I was kind of like the only one. So yeah, I, yeah. sometimes I, I had my vision and I knew like, I knew who I was, and I knew that what I wanted to do and where that could take me. And the reason why I've been able to do the things that I've done nowadays is because of that. But at the same time, there was days that I was like, am I doing something wrong? Why is everyone telling me that I shouldn't be doing this? But I feel like it's, it's a part of me, you know? So it's so good for me to hear that for so many other people, um, you know, learning and doing other stuff off the game was actually making them better players. Yeah, and I think that's why as soon as you announced like you were doing the podcast, mm. like for me, the fascinating thing is finding out more about people away from the football field. Because actually what makes you a more rounded human being is having those conversations, doing different things. Mm. Like, I don't know, say like me in lockdown, trying to learn a language because I know actually that's going to help me in my media career. Yeah, it's yeah. like you become just a better human being and ultimately you are more than a footballer. You're the person, first of all, right? And I think that's why I think footballers now in that generation, they know actually it's going to help them grow and be better. Yeah. And I think like they have more support as well, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, social media also, I feel like is giving a lot of people the chance to, you know, tell the story and like, you know, show themselves as who they truly are. And I feel like, I don't know, younger generations now, um whether that is i don't know dancing on tiktok or like yeah. <laughs> um you know protesting against um you know uh, like sancho did with the uh with the george floyd stuff like i just feel like back in the day um whether that was the media or the people around you everyone was like no 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 don't do this you know just just play football that's you and now social media and the new generation are kind of like exploring other ways to like communicate with the fans and stuff and i think it's so great to see because that's you, you're seeing the whole person now. You're not just seeing yeah. the player, you're seeing the whole human being. And that's what, when we talk about like role models and everyone, like you're showing people the real you. 
like the interest that you love away from the field, whether you're speaking up about everything that you do, which is like, for me, when I look at some of the stuff that you've been vocal about on Twitter, there's a lot of people that haven't been brave enough, or you are, you have that scared factor, like you said, because of the implications that it might. But how many people will look at you and be like, wow, I totally respect one, your bravery to be doing that. And actually they can relate to you on different levels, but they're just seeing the real you, which that's what people want because yeah. the media can paint a different picture, but you're getting to show the real you and what passions that you, you have in life. Yeah, I think, I think that that is so important because also, as you say, like being a role model, um, you know, that has a lot of implications and you know that in your position, you have to lead by example, you know, mm-hmm. and like people are always follow, um, not always gonna follow, but um, you know, especially young people, when you, they see the stuff that you do off the pitch as well, that can help them, inspire them and even you know when you early in your career you never know if you're going to make it pro so having the other side of you having the opportunity to like explore other things i think it gives a lot of people like you you getting your uni degree and now thanks to that um that's giving you the experience that you needed so when you stop football now you can do the job that you love as well so um now i think i think it's great and it's a great example for like everyone and um you know it's it's honestly it, it makes me happy to see that other people think like in the same way and obviously as successful as you yeah like I just love it and I think like I said we're seeing a new different generation football evolves everything evolves like there's nothing wrong with change it's like embracing it and going with it just like when we see different coaching styles or anything people just absolutely everything that's happened you know like with lockdown and football being stopped like you have to still live and be that person and have interest in life I fully agree and now that we're talking about Social media, um, one of the, uh, the latest things I saw happening was that uh, you were getting loads of abuse um, almost daily um, for your job just for, because yeah. you're female. And, um, you know, uh, a lot of people, because um, this is what I've heard and what I see, apparently you're doing a man's job. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <It's funny. laughs> um, but, um, yeah, tell me, because I read that, there was a time for you that you even almost decided to like leave social media, like log yeah. out and not come back again. Uh, this is something that's gone through my head as well many times. Tell me um, how that made you feel and the reason why you felt that you had to stay in social media and, and, and still raise your voice the way you do. Like it goes back to like, say how I just said about like, I know I have a responsibility. It's not just me sitting there, whether I'm on Strictly Come Dancing or whether I'm sitting there as a pundit, I know my bigger responsibility for women's sport and women in general being in that environment. Um, And you know, honestly, I didn't get into pundit. I didn't want to make, it's not like I was like trying to make headlines to be this first female or, oh, I want to be in a man's world. I'm talking about something that I've, been doing since I was a kid like to me football's football whether it's going to watch you guys play whether it's like the women's game whether it's down the local park when I'm going for a run and seeing the kids playing like football's football football like the feeling that it gives me the emotions I absolutely love it so me sitting alongside the people I didn't see like I didn't know that that would be affecting people and people would get so like angry by it that oh my gosh I have an opinion but the, the funny thing is the tweets that I do get like even now I laughed the other day when I was talking about Liverpool winning a trophy and then like the tweets and the hate coming through what do you know you don't know what goes on in the dressing room 
I'm like, I actually do. Like, it's the same. Like, when me and you talk about tactics, it's the same, it's the same thing. Like, obviously, I know that I'm never going to be as strong as a man or as fast as a man. That's our makeup. But when we play football, football's football, right? And so, literally, when I'm analysing a game, I'm just talking about football and what I love. But the hate that I was getting every single day, like, Hector, I got death threats, the amount of abuse, and then I was keeping it in because I'm that person. Like, I'm all right, I can deal with it. I don't yeah, want to yeah. like, let my family know because I don't want anyone to worry about it. But it just, it, it became too heavy for me. Yeah. And then I was like, do you know what? I didn't sign up for this. I'm just, I wanted to do something that I absolutely love. And I began to lose my personality a bit on screen because I was like, I know as soon as I come off air, like I can't even turn my phone on because it's just no. going to be ping, 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 and it's all just going to be negative. But then I was like, I don't know, when I hear about Raheem, when he talks, like, actually, if I was going to come away, then I would know they were going to win. Yeah. So if I would have stopped, if I like, would have quit my job, then they've won. And actually, yeah. how do we make change happen? We need to keep doing it and keep fighting it for more people to be coming through. So now when I look at this season, you've got the likes of, I don't know, Karen Carney, you've got yeah. other females coming through. I'm like, yeah, like the more we have coming through and it becomes normal, that's yeah. when people will stop talking, hopefully. It's so, I mean, that, that, that's so great, the message that, that you're giving, because it's so true. And I feel, uh, you know, for someone that I've been also got a lot of uh, stuff in my social media and um, a lot of criticism, like on and off the field, um, it does get really hard sometimes, you know. I feel, yeah. for me, I always say that, when I first started playing for Arsenal, I was like this kid that no one knew. And, um, you know, I started playing really well. So everyone is like, wow, this is great, you know? And everyone was like, oh, who's this guy? This is amazing. Da, da, da. And I was feeding off that positive energy that you, yeah. you get. And then when things started going a bit bad, then those comments weren't there anymore. And I was like, you know, that was something that somehow, now looking back, I can see that I was just feeding my ego, you know, saying like, oh, mm -hmm. look, everyone's telling me how good I am. Like, I must be amazing, whatever. And then when you don't have that, it's actually really hard when you don't have it. And not just that, but all the comments that you get in, it's just like, hey, um, you know, as you said, even sometimes like death threats or like whatever, yeah. which, is, which is really, really harsh. And people don't realize that that affects us as humans as well. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter who it's coming from, because that's one of the things that I always think, like, you don't even know who this person is. You don't even yeah. know who this person knows one bit about football. Like, why is this affecting you? You know, it should affect you when it's coming from your coach. And when it's mm -hmm. coming from your family, etc. But, you know, sometimes as you can say, it gets too much. And, you know, I think like, um, it's great that mentality that you have that, um, you know, if you stop doing that, you're letting them win. And I feel like that is also one of the reasons why I stuck by my vision as well of what I had um, planned for myself or what, what I was seeing myself because I was like, it actually got to a point that somehow I was still getting hate, but people mm -hmm. were just accepting that I just dress different than they did you know yeah. and I just had other passions and you know when we were losing or whatever it was still my fault because I was just dressing different yeah <laughs> uh, but still somehow it just got accepted and it was not I think people at the beginning probably thought like oh no he's just doing that because he wants people to talk no this is just my way of expressing myself and this is yeah. just where I am and people somehow they just get to a point that they accept you for who they are and then they're probably still talking crap about you but you know it's not the same anymore and I feel like what you're saying now having other female pundits, you have opened that door for them. You know, you've actually taken all the hits and you've helped normalize that, that now other women can come into the game 
And as you say, the moment that this thing is normalized, when you're not even a female pundit anymore, you're just a pundit, this is yeah. when you actually made the progression. But to be able to get there, people like you or people like me, in a sense, we need to get all the bangs to then open the doors for other people. So I think like, it's, that is amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. But that's why I like how I said, like, for me, nothing in my life is a sub story. Either mm. it's been like a challenge to get over it, like how what, everything that I went through with the social media stuff, but it's made me a better person now. Like I'm tougher, like I can deal with it. Like you said, I've opened more doors for others and that makes me proud. So sure. it was just, it was just part of it. And actually now on social media, when I do do stuff, people now go out of their way to say the positive. Because yeah. I think just in society, right, it's easy for us always to like be negative and negative. We forget to actually give people a positive now yeah. and again. So now on social media, I do. I have like, it's a balance. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like um, even when I'm in the street and like people talk to me or sometimes when I get my messages, people actually are really nice, you know, and, and it's so nice to hear. But actually, usually the negative people are the loudest, you know, yeah, yeah. And, it's, I, I, and they're the ones that, people always like the comments or retweet and stuff and it just makes it seem worse but actually there's a lot of love um from people and and, and i feel like in today's society it's so easy to be negative because i feel when you're negative it makes you feel like you're on top of that person you know it makes you feel better about yourself if you're telling someone that they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. um so and, and i get that it's a bit more difficult for people to be positive so i feel when we get those positive messages for me it actually makes me really really happy that there's people that are actually seeing the other side yeah. that's what and at the end of the day like whether it was in football whether i'm on tv like i know if i've had a bad game i mm. know if oh that wasn't my strongest tv appearance <laughs> yeah. like i'm like my biggest critic myself yeah, yeah, but it's yeah, because yeah. so if people were to critique me on that i like hold my hands up i'm like cool but if you're like just coming at me with oh i'm ticking a box i'm just there because i'm female i'm like bore off now just bore yeah, off because yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true because it, actually like um you know if you've I don't know, if you've missed a big chance, if you defended bad one game or whatever, you're the first person that knows that. And usually yeah. the coach will be the, the first person that probably they don't even have to tell you because they know, you know, mm-hmm. you've, you've played, I mean, you played so many games, you played more than 300 games. So obviously if you've made a mistake, you're the first person that knows and you're the one that's going to take care of that in the next game. And mm-hmm. there's barely any times that people are actually criticizing that. They just criticize for the sake of it because yeah. it just, I feel like it just makes them feel better. Or the game, the, I feel like when I was young, for example, and I was just a bit different, every time that there was a bad game, it was always my fault. Because let's blame the young guy that's been here yeah. for a few games. And then, you know, it's a bit different. So, you know, it's a scapegoat. But um, yeah, I think like things, when people get to know you and, you know, you show your, your other side, I feel like people, once they humanize you, people can feel more related to yeah. yourself as well, which like open doors. And but about coming off social media, which is something that is gone through my head as well, like many times, you know, because... I honestly don't spend a lot of time in it. I've said it in other podcasts. I, I check it like half an hour, an hour a day just to, mm-hmm. just to check like if people have messaged me and stuff. And I was like, what am I even doing here? You know, <laughs> I, there's so much stuff that when I think about it that I've been able to do thanks to social media, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I'm not someone that's posting their stories every day about what I'm eating or what I'm doing or anything like yeah. that. But, um, and I feel, I actually feel that the days that I'm in social media for whatever reason, I feel more anxious throughout the day mm-hmm. or I actually see myself scrolling for no reason. Whereas like when I don't have social media on my phone or I've deleted it or whatever, 
then I just have such a peaceful day. And yeah. then those days I'm like, why am I even doing this for myself? Yeah. You know, like, I just want to come off of this. But at the same time, it's what you say. I feel like um, once you talk about certain things or you, um, you're not afraid to speak and, and people see you as, um, as an example of someone that wants to talk about these issues, you kind of grow this, this responsibility, you know, that yeah. you can't just like comment and go. You have to be mm-hmm. part of the conversation. So as you said, it's not only that you will let them win. It's just that the people will miss that person that will actually speak about a subject that is important. So it's, it's been hard for me to find the line in which like, okay, if I wanted to help, if I want to help people, want to help society and I want to be loud and speak my views, I also need to be in a good mental state to do that. Yeah. I cannot be like, you know, going through it in a bad mental state and be able to be myself, you know? So how do I navigate being in social media and being from this hate and this love at the same time and be in a good mental state to be able to help? Yeah. That is what I found more tricky. It is. It's just, it's finding that balance. But like you said, you, we know we can use our platform on social media to affect change in such a positive way. Mm-hmm. But it's like how you just said, finding that balance that it doesn't drain us or take away from us because we're still just trying to help. Mm-hmm. But for you, in terms of your social media and everything that you're so passionate about, like what made you think, actually, I need to use my voice more. I can use my platform. Well, I felt that um, I was seeing, you know, someone that inspired me a lot and I've never really spoke about it before, but I was, um, I think Stormzy, um, was one of the people that I felt was using his voice to kind of, uh, especially in politics, right? And I could mm-hmm. feel that every time he spoke or when he had his Glasto, um appearance, uh, a lot of young people were engaging with him, yeah. you know? And it was so clear to me how someone in a position of such influence could affect uh, newer generations, you know? and not just not just him but there was so many people in the background and and sports people and like um celebrities that they were just giving their opinion sometimes i would agree with them and sometimes i wouldn't but it also gave you a chance to like get to know them the first time you know people are like oh you shouldn't talk politics because you're a footballer you should only play football and all this stuff but also we got so many people that they were happy to see someone not being afraid of like speaking their views yeah and then it kind of you know, it was a bit of like trial and error. I just started to speak my mind more and more and it just feel better for me that I could, that younger people also could have someone uh, not just being good at their job, but also showing that, you know, you can help given your position. And yeah, I just got inspired by many people to do that. And um yeah, it just got to a point that I was seeing things happening around the world and I was, there was something inside of me that I was like, it's not enough just talking to the people around me. I need to get this message out there. And I was mm-hmm. seeing that no one in the industry was doing that. So I was like, well, if it's not me, I'm, like, why do I need to wait for someone else to do that? Because I was, I think, one of the first footballers to speak about what happened with George Floyd. And mm-hmm. inside, I had like, why is no one else talking about this? You know, because... Um, I don't know, if I was, uh, I don't know, a person of color, I would feel like I would even have to be even more 
you know. And I think like there was personalities in the Premier League or in football in general, uh, people of colour that also have uh, this platform that you know is also is affect, affecting their their people, you know. Yeah. And and, and no one was saying nothing so I was like I'm not going to wait for anyone else to do this I'm just going to have to you know be the first one and then a lot of people started um, not saying because of me but you know in the Bundesliga you started seeing teams um, you know protesting and stuff but yeah. I, I just felt like so many times there's a lot of stuff going on in the world and I cannot see someone in the industry that are, that are saying nothing and I feel like we're people with such powers that we should do that. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? We know we have such a platform that can help affect change and how we've spoken about role models. You have, like, this whole generation that is looking up to us. Like, well, what's Hector got to say on this? Like, I totally agree with his stance. And then if we just stay quiet, we're not going to affect, we're not going to have no movement, we're not going to push for change, and things will carry on the way they are, all because we were scared, oh, I might, like, say something wrong on social media. Well, no, because like how you just spoke about it with so much passion, it, it's right to. Of course, of course. And I feel like, and, and, and I get how so many footballers uh, and people in other industries can feel like that, the fact that, oh, I'm just a professional at doing this. I just don't, like, I'm just going to do my job and go home and like not worry about nothing else, which is fair enough. But at the same time, from my point of view, it's still a bit selfish, you know, because when you're given this platform and when you're given this voice, I think, you know, it's, it's somehow a duty as well to yeah. be able to help society because, you know, we've been given, we're lucky enough to be in this position. So mm. we should use it for the right things. But, um, you know, I guess not everyone feels the same way, but I, I hope the newer generations see that even Raheem, you know, how he speaks about racism and, and, and stuff. People can see that you can be a footballer and also you can give your opinion and people will love you even more for that you know yeah. for showing your true you it's just like finding it's like your passion mm. away from or whatever drives you like what obviously marcus rashford did as well it's yeah. because it's a situation that's something he grew up with that's what he's passionate about it's not trying to follow a trend or do something for the sake of doing it just be true to who you are and what you stand for as a person that's sure. all and the things that that can achieve right like what marcus yeah. achieved is it's crazy it's amazing mm -hmm. so yeah i think that's a great example for for young generations and even older people also you know to see like mm -hmm. the power that um that our voice has um one of the other topics that i wanted to talk with you and this is something that i've always been really interested in, and um it's about the wage gap between uh, men and women um and i've seen a lot of people talk about it like from megan rapinoe and like people uh in the industry so i want you to tell me how you feel um and your opinion and um you know if you feel there should be changes and how how those changes can be made or what does football need to do in able to be able to achieve equality and equity in this sense yeah i think about it when i like listen to the american team and megan rapino and everything i think you always need to look at situations mm -hmm. so for us over here we can't compare ourselves to the usa national team mm -hmm. because wait we've not even won a world cup we're not like one, you, like they are champions. They are like, they travel when they do victory tours. They're selling out stadiums, yeah. like the shirt sales and everything. So I think for me, I'm always so, I always want to look at both sides instead yeah. of just jumping sure. on like, yeah, we should have this. Yeah. So when I look at our league over here, we still have so much work to do to grow the game. And then actually, if we start playing our female players X amount of money, like ridiculous money, the league will actually fold. 
yeah. will have a negative effect because we're not bringing in that revenue yet. The mm. TV deals are not there, the commercial side. So we need to do more in terms of the vis visibility and bringing that sponsorship into our game to help our game grow, to bring the fans in more. And yeah. then we can start play paying the players more. When I look at it, I'm so proud to see the game go from when I started to where it is now that you can be a professional footballer. Oh my goodness, like you can get paid for playing football you love and actually be okay about it. Earn a good salary, Hector, in terms yeah. of that and your sponsorships. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not sitting here saying that's good enough. No, we always need to fight for more and to push the game and grow it. But I think I'm just more realistic. Like right now, there's no way in the women's game over here, we can even talk about that we should be getting paid the same as male players because you just can't because of the TV deals and everything are not there yet. Hopefully in the future, we can get to a space where we can be demanding that obviously the game needs more money, it needs that infrastructure and everything. But at the moment, we still need to take those steps to even get there. We can't go from point here where we are and expect to be there. And, and how do you think... Um... Do you, like, first of all, do you think there's a possibility in the near future that um, the women's national team, for example, in the UK can get to the level that it is in the US? And if you want to get there, um, what steps do you think need to be taken? Uh, honestly, I do believe. I think our technical ability and everything's there. And I think it comes back to actually players taking responsibility as well. Like we can always say, oh, we need more funding. We need more this. But actually, it's, for me, I always look at myself. What can I do more of? Do I need to go out and train harder? Does my weight program, do I need to spend more time, that yeah. extra 10 minutes after training on the yeah. field to make me a better person? So mm. I think if every player is doing that, then when we do play America and we beat them and we win World Cups or Euros, then when you're winning things, you know you can make change happen because that's what happened with America. It's not till they won the World Cup and then they like fought in the courts to change title X, to demand more revenue, to demand yeah. more income. Like you can make things happen. So I think at the moment, in terms of players thinking about, well, I should get X for this sponsorship or X for that. You know how it is. Sometimes you can yeah. get a bit distracted. Like, first of all, let your football do the talking and then all that other stuff is going to come if you continue to be successful. I think it's so. I think it's so good that you that you have this point of view, you know, because I feel like loads of um, loads of people talking about the subject is like, um, you know, male footballers get this money, so women footballers should get this. And I mm -hmm. think that it's good to see that someone from from the game has this perspective because um, you you know I think I'm someone that I see both sides as well. And yeah. obviously, I'm the first person that I want equality for everyone, you know. And I feel like when you see how a woman is getting paid in the same job as a man and there's not the same equity, mm -hmm. you kind of feel like, listen, this is not right. Like, this has to be, you know. But in football, I feel like it, you're not in the same office, right? Let's say yeah. like, you're playing a different kind of league. You're playing, um, you know, you have like, I don't know, different stadiums, different training grounds, like not the same amount of people is going to the different games. So it's kind of hard to see like you know i would love if, if women could get paid in football the same as as men mm -hmm. but at the same time it's true what you say like you need to it's kind of like a sport that um came to the public and became professional while you were playing you know yeah. so it's kind of recent so you need to do a lot of work to kind of get there but um yeah i mean it's such an interesting um conversation and i see um 
women's football growing more and more every year. And I think, um, you know, people like you, people like Megan, they, they make not just uh, the game professional, but you make it interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. And people want to hear what you have to say, what Megan has to say. And, you know, I think she's someone that I rate a lot because also she's not afraid to speak, you know? Yeah. And she's getting into politics and all this stuff. And I think it's so good to see. And I think um, me first, but like, people in the male industry should look at how she's doing stuff or how you're doing stuff. And we need to get inspiration from you guys because, you know, you're the one showing that apart from playing football, there's way more to it and fighting for what you believe in, you know, and like not being afraid of like speak your mind because she, I think Megan has, has achieved a lot for the game in the U S same as you have for the game in the UK. So I think there are clear examples that by using our voice, um, you know, you can get to like, where you really need to put the sport in that position. Yeah, when I just look at it, I think for us, we do need to find a way for it to filter down into the leagues. Because when you look at the last Women's World Cup, just the figures, what, 11 million tuned in to watch the Lionesses in their semi-final. Every stadium was filled out. And that's what you want women's football to be like. But we can't wait for every World Cup or Euros. We need that in our league. And as soon as that happens in the league, that's when we can talk about, hey, hold up, like... X, she should be getting X amount of money. We get the we, money we, now, we want it. Yeah, we start, need to, we start closing <laughs> yeah. that gap a little bit. Yeah. But it is, it's all about, I'd say, based at the moment around the national team. When they're successful, that's when you have the kids, like the little boys in the schools to be like wearing Lucy Bronze shirts now. Like, that's like amazing. But yeah. it's on, that's when World Cups happen. We need that for like Arsenal players or in the WSL. But hopefully, like we keep fighting like all the time. So hopefully we just keep developing the game when we get there yeah well i i think if you know women's football keeps getting uh personalities like you or megan um and many others i think this is something that's gonna grow really quickly i hope people keep getting inspired by you and your stories because these are the you, you are the people that i think the league needs in order to be where it needs to be you know yeah. but anyway i want to talk to you also about your future because now you're in strictly and as you said <laughs> punditry is something that um you know it's kind of like it's happened but that is not your your main goal you want to be a presenter and like you started doing that with goals on sunday and stuff so what does the future hold for you do you know what for me i never i'm not inspired by money or anything i'm inspired by the love of what i do and how much passion and how much fun I get with it. So when I see myself like at the moment or in the future, one, I can never get in a comfort zone. If I'm in a comfort zone, then I'm just like bland, you like lose me. And I'm always thinking, well, I'm here, but I need to be doing this. I need to be doing this. So I can't sit still, I have a problem. (laughs) So it's the same, like I've been working, like I wanna get into presenting, I've been doing different things and I just absolutely love it. I can't sit here and be like, in X amount of years, like I want to be that match of the day presenter yeah, because yeah. I don't know what's going to happen in those years. I could find something else that I totally love. I don't know. Or someone else could be in that position. Yeah. Then what? Do you know? So I'm that person. Like I, I'm keep working to aspire to be that presenter, but things, you might take a different course in life. You never know, yeah. but I'm just enjoying being in this space and just getting to do something that I'm so passionate and that I love. Yeah. That's so good to hear. That's so good to hear. So Alex, before we close, this conversation which i'm yeah. really enjoyed, by the way i want you to tell me 
give me some recommendations. Is there any books or any shows that you've been watching or reading for quarantine so we can share with the um, listeners? What? I, do you know what? I feel like I watched so much Netflix during <laughs> lockdown. <laughs> I went through it all. I went through, well, I was watch Money Heist because that was helping me learn Spanish. Spanish, yes. Yeah. Um, I did the love story one with normal people. Um, mm. I don't know if your like, listeners will be into that, so I'm not going to recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else is I reading or doing? I think, do you know what? I actually haven't. I'm someone that actually likes reading books, but I didn't read many books during lockdown. Really? Really? Yeah, because I was trying to learn Spanish or watch Netflix or so do stuff. Folks. Yeah. I have so, to say, I, mean, I watched, I watched, uh, I started not long ago, Mindhunter. Have you watched Mindhunter? No, is that good? It's really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still in season one, but um, it's a really good show. I highly recommend it. Okay, so that's my Maybe like one. psychology and what's happened behind people's brains and stuff. So it's like really, really cool. Okay, but, I like yeah. that. I like trying to figure out like things when I'm watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it's, it's really interesting. So, um... Well, Alex, thank you so much for being the podcast. Really enjoy it. As I say, I really hope that um, you inspire our listeners and, uh, you know, all together we can grow uh, women's football to where it needs to be. And, uh, yeah, I wish you the best of luck with Strictly and with everything uh, that you're doing. Um, honestly, big respect. And, again, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the chat. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, Alex. Bye. Bye-bye.